Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Thank you to my friend from Mississippi, and welcome to Tuesday Topics. This is Paul Edwards, your your host, and we are going to be doing a program on audio description, but not a program that just sort of celebrates the glory thereof, but really a program <clears throat> that may be broader than audio description as well, because what we're going to be talking about are some of the components of the Federal Communications Commission. And then during the second hour, we'll talk some, uh, and hopefully we'll get some feedback from you guys who are there on some of the current requests for uh, comment that the Federal Communications Commission um, has put out. Um, but for the first hour, it is my pleasure to welcome to Tuesday Topics the 504, I, well, I called him an officer in, in the thing I put out, but I'm sure that's not correct. Are you a coordinator or a director, Mr. Gerard Williams, or what are you? Yeah, hey, thanks, Paul. Believe it or not, the, the position is 504 Compliance Officer, but it does not come with a badge for some unknown reason. So, so, so I was right by mistake. That's so excellent. <laughs> excellent. Um, so a 504 Compliance Officer, what does, what does such an animal do? Sure. Well, it's a, it's a great question. Uh, Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973, we were two minutes after the hour, and I'm already governmenting it up uh, here. <laughs> um, but the Rehab Act of 1973, um, in common parlance, and that is kind of uh, my thing at the Federal Communications Commission, I'm not an attorney, so I'm not your attorney, Paul, so please don't, uh, don't hold me any legal advice. But uh, yeah, but the Rehab Act of 73 was effectively the ADA, so to speak, in quotes, for the federal government, pre-actual ADA. So it's a legislation that uh, prevented by law discrimination against people with disabilities on behalf of the federal government in a number of different ways, whether that be employment discrimination, access to uh, programs, activities, services, uh, access to digital uh, information. That is, uh, of course, today it means websites and digital content. Uh, so there is a broad ranging uh, legislation that's been updated over the years. And Section 504, which is my specific position, focuses on access to the activities, programs, and services of the federal government uh, targeted at the public. Right, ensuring that Americans, members of the public, are able to participate in the activities of government agencies working on their behalf, regardless of whether they have a disability, need an accommodation. Now, Section 504 has been, been out there, as you say, since 1973. But uh, one of the things that I said in, in the, the, the paper that, that, that I wrote uh, announcing that you were going to be a guest is, is that I think that the Federal Communications Commission is perhaps a model that other federal agencies could use because I don't think, um, I don't think there is 
nearly as widespread an element of compliance in some other federal agencies as there is at the FCC. Um, do you, uh, tell us a little bit about See, I'm not going to make you comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> Very wise. <laughs> so, some of the, um, so, tell me some of the things that 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 you get to do, kind of on a daily basis as a 504 compliance officer. Sure. So uh, first, I'll start out by by half not responding to to your first kind of comment there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in that. At the FCC, we have the advantage of being a relatively small size agency. So that's true. Yeah. So lots, lots of people who aren't in government or kind of inside the Beltway can perceive that all these government agencies are these huge apparatus. But ultimately, the Federal Communications Commission is, I believe, it's not technically a micro agency. There is some somewhere someone maintains definitions of what a micro agency versus a small agency. I believe that we are above micro agency, but we're still a small agency, which means that we have some more latitude to work collaboratively. We don't have quite as much. Of course, there's certainly bureaucracy, but we can be a little nimble and we can move a little quickly. And when you have the right people in place, you can really see an impact. So some of my forebears in this position as 504 compliance officer really paved the way in putting together a nice, robust program. Um, in terms of what, what I do with the FCC, uh, I fell backwards into this job by way of being a certified sign language interpreter. Mm -hmm. So uh, I started at the FCC as a sign language interpreter and working with the Section 504 compliance officer, who at that time was also a certified sign language interpreter. And then over time, she retired. I took over her position. So uh, on a daily basis, I still do some amount of sign language interpreting to help the FCC's program continue to run both internally mm -hmm. and for outward facing events uh, that accommodates members of the public who may use American Sign Language. Uh, but I'm also working internally to ensure that our outward facing activities, programs, documents, and the like are all being a made as accessible as possible before they go out the door and b if we don't quite get there to the extent that anybody needs any help any accommodation any kind of adjustment in order to access those things i'm working internally to make sure that those things can can happen so uh for a real tangible example uh, i have had some folks who have needed some help filing comments uh, because mm -hmm. the websites weren't working for them for whatever reason. And it is not for me to question why it doesn't work. But instead, I'm an operational guy. So I say, great, well, let's get your comments filed. Let me see what I can do to make sure that that gets on the record so that people are able to participate in our activities. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And and so you would be also be responsible for supervising, say, the production of, of Braille documents within... within um, the FCC. So uh, I would be careful using the word supervise in any official capacity here, uh, just <laughs> because you know I am a federal employee. So uh, I would say that uh, I am ultimately responsible for ensuring that to the extent that somebody requested a document in Braille or any kind of alternate format, large print, Microsoft Word, accessible PDF, PowerPoint, what what have you, uh, a rich text file or a plain text file. 
Um, I'm responsible for ensuring that those things get to where they're going uh, to the people who've requested them. But I also, as I said, because we're a small agency, I work with a, a team and the team is not necessarily all located in my shop. So uh, I work across our bureau. I'm located in the Consumer and Governmental Affairs Bureau. So inside our bureau, we have an alternate format specialist. Uh, a young lady by the name of Terry Pacheco, uh, who some people may be familiar with. I know uh, her. Oh, oh, that's what she does. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Well, that's, that's, that's what they say. That's what they say. Uh, it's not for me to question. But um, so, uh, so Terry and I work together to make sure that those requests get filled. Uh, and I'm also working with our 508 compliance officer as well. And these things that are uh, accessibility of the website. Uh, or any of our digital materials. And uh, we have the advantage of, again, being a relatively small agency. So we're able to keep in touch. And uh, I was presenting last week in an internal FCC event, and I effectively said to the audience, if you need something and it's about access, it's about accessibility, it involves people with disabilities, whatever it is, if you get it to any one of us, even if I'm not the person who's going to actually solve that problem, I'll make sure it gets solved and I'll get you to the right person to make sure that mm-hmm. you do it. Now, do, do you have a requirement to, to submit like an annual report on, on your 504 performance? So that's a great question. Um, we have a triennial review of our Section 504 uh, mm-hmm. handbook uh, and if you do a, if you're interested in that type of reading, you want a little light reading to get you to sleep, then certainly you can Google section, uh, FCC section 504 handbook. Um, but, uh, we review our practices every three years. And as part of that, we, uh, release a public notice requesting comment from the public at large about their experience with our, our 504 program. Uh, and we collate those comments and take feedback and respond to those things and update our handbook to reflect those things as well. Uh, our, uh, there are other reports that are legally required uh, that are pursuant to the Rehab Act of 73, um, like 501 reports and the like that are handled by right. some other folks in our agency. Uh, but in terms of 504, we have a number of rules that the commission has adopted pursuant to the law, which was, here's how the FCC plans to meet its 504 obligation. And so mm-hmm. we laid out what we were going to do. One of those things that we're doing by rule is this triennial review. Uh, it also lays out there, would were someone to have a complaint about our 504 practices, here's what you would do. Uh, and the process you would go through, any of those complaints do need to go up through the chain and be addressed by the actual commission. It's um, it's an indication of how far we've come that uh, it it really didn't occur to me, and that's it, that's me, not you, um, that in the federal government, um, 504 still has a role to play um, in terms of employment. You know, we're we're so used to thinking of of the ADA as the primary uh, employment component, but in the federal government, you guys are still, at least to a degree, governed by 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 the rules surrounding Section five hundred four. Um, is is that a a good thing or a bad thing? If you know, um, i.e., do you, do you think that you have uh, more ability or less ability to um, to 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 help employment potential for folks with disabilities um, 
with 504 than than you might with ADA? Sure. Well, and to to be put a little more fine point on it, Section 504 doesn't specifically deal with the employment aspect, but under right. the Rehab Act, certainly Section 501 has to do with that. Yes. Um, and again, and uh, 503 and, as well. Yeah. Absolutely. For contractors, for, for yes. sure. Um, as not your attorney, I will say uh, my personal <laughs> opinion and not that of the Federal Communications Commission or the U.S. government uh, would be that um, the federal government, I feel, is held to a bit of a higher standard but via the Rehab mm-hmm. Act as amended as because it has been amended over time to be it has more requirements. Mm-hmm. Um, but because beyond the letter of the law that indicates that, of course, you you, thou shalt not discriminate, right? I mean, the, mm-hmm. that is really the end the end goal, if you were to sum it up in a single sentence. But the federal government also has a number of different efforts that set specific targets for hiring that we are accountable for uh, and trying to report out to either the executive office of the president pursuant to executive order or OPM for certain personnel targets for trying to, to get to certain targets of hiring and people with targeted disabilities. <laughs> So I feel like there's some more accountability with the federal government. Um, I, I can't say whether that has resulted in uh, as much change as we'd like, right? I mean, there's always more that we could do. Sure. But I do think that we're held to a bit of a higher standard. And it is a, a common misconception. People often want to refer to the ADA. And in, in some ways, it's a bit pedantic to kind of correct that and say, well, we're technically not beholden to the ADA because it doesn't right. apply to the federal government. Um, so that usually is not a helpful point of contention because by and large, whatever you are thinking, the ADA requires the federal government, the Rehab Act of 73 likely requires it, or another piece of legislation that either uh, preceded or followed that also requires it. So it's a bit of an intellectual point at that, at that moment. It, it is, it is, but, but it's, it's, it's interesting to compare the two, um, or, or at least it is for me, but that. That could be because I'm I'm just old and pedantic as well. Uh, <laughs> um, so believe it or not, uh, we are going to um, move slightly away from 504, unless there's something else you'd like to talk about with regard no, to 504. Sure, let's move on. So, so let's talk a little bit about um, President President Biden and the FCC's effort. Um, to, to broaden the availability of broadband. I didn't mean to pun there, um, <laughs> but maybe you can tell us a little bit about where that came from, why it's necessary, and, and, and where we're trying to go. Sure. Well, uh, one of the, the one of the birthplaces of the FCC was the realization that the telephone network, that the airwaves were a vital shared resource for Americans mm-hmm. and that there was some need to have somebody, uh, for lack of a better term, policing that space so that we ensured that people who are uh, recipients of the public trust that is using the, the airwaves uh, were going to be doing so in a responsible manner and that it was going to be egalitarian and that we were going to be able to connect as many Americans to the phone network as possible, recognizing the importance of that, that means of staying connected to be able to participate in civic life. And moving into the 21st century, there's been an increasing realization that broadband connections, sort of internet connections, but more specifically, broadband, high-speed internet connections have become the telephone network, the radio waves of the 21st century, uh, and that there is a need to address 
increase deployment in the exact same ways that we had to address those types of things with the telephone network in the past. That is reaching rural areas, uh, reaching those people who are low income, who may need, need some assistance in order to be able to access that so that people are on a more even playing field. So the FCC has undertaken a number of actions over the last uh, half dozen years to try to increase broadband deployment from things like uh, paving the way for 5G and other high-speed wireless, which can sometimes scale out easier to rural areas, to actual rules and regulations that have to do with how broadband is actually connected. That is the physical connections and the permitting and licensing that's necessary in order to do those things, the cost sharing and all of that thing. Um, but now with the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, that was all brought into stark relief. Uh, and there, we now have a program that was from the, uh, I believe the American recovery act, uh, or the cares act, the emergency yes. broadband benefit program. And, uh, I'm happy to talk a little bit more about that. It is the current huge project of the FCC, big flagship program that I want to make sure as many people and particularly people with disabilities, uh, everybody is in the know about this benefit and they know how they can get it if they qualify. So we'll get there in just a minute. I want to dot some I's and cross some T's to make sure that our folks know exactly what we're talking about. So <clears throat> the, the internet is essentially the, the component that enables you um, to do things like email and to, and to look at, uh, uh, oh, say, a web browser so that you can uh, or or a search engine so that you you can stay connected and it's also where facebook and twitter and all these sorts of places happen um now all of the things that i've described so far and 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 please mr gerard correct me if you think that i'm wrong with any of this don't really require high speed internet in order in, in order to be pretty functional um but um but we've gone to the place where um, what people now are expecting from the internet is, for example, um, access to video and access to um, high-quality audio and uh, an ability to download information relatively quickly. Um, and those are becoming now sort of the minimum standards that folks find acceptable in terms of internet access it, it's it's no longer good enough just to have access to the first few things i described would you agree with that gerard yeah and uh, we can if, if we go in a time machine here and just go back and put a real real fine point on it here so yeah um, my first experiences with the internet, right, and many of you may be right there with me, but you are connecting to your phone line, your home oh, gosh, phone yes. line, okay, and you're connecting your modem, uh, and if you were one of the lucky few, you're using your 56K modem, yeah, yeah. and your 56K modem was dialing a phone number and was communicating with your internet service provider, your ISP, and was shooting data back and forth over this analog phone line, your old copper wire phone line. Yep. And during that era, the internet was largely text-based. Uh, there were certainly some images that were there, but the, the origin of the internet was largely text-based. Um, but 
all that technology evolved. And you're right. The goalposts have continued to move. Yeah, so, the, the text-based internet was the only place where I really felt comfortable. I've fallen further and further behind the yeah. further away we've gotten from text-based um, internet. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the ultimate irony is as we moved into more advanced technologies, we moved away from things that were text-based and in some ways more egalitarian, a little more accessible yep. for people who are relying on text alone. Uh, and now flash forward and my iPhone uh, gets uh, orders of magnitude faster internet service wirelessly than my 56k modem did through my landline oh yeah right so the it, it's a bit of an arms race where people were developing new content that needed to be downloaded over the internet so we developed newer and faster ways to download on the internet so we developed even more cumbersome and bigger and harder things that needed to be downloaded and yep. that's just continued to escalate yep uh, and as that continued to escalate the floor of what was kind of minimum internet for what you need yeah. just got higher and higher. Exactly. So you All would right. be hard pressed today to find a fully text-based website that you could download in a half a second <laughs> because <laughs> everything is interlaced with all these advanced features. Yep, that's correct. And 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 it's um it's it is actually amazing um that that we have gone to those to those minimums. I mean I I I was with you. I mean, I had a 300 baud modem, and a, and 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 then I I felt just sort of blessed when I met went to a 1200 baud modem, and and then to a 2400 baud modem, and then I was flying high, man. Sure. Uh, and so yes, it 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 the the, the changes are immense. Um, so so now that we we've got, I think, folks on the same page as we are. Um, tell us about the program. Sure. Uh, so I, I, I can't help myself but put one last point on that. Sure. Applaud. Sorry. Of you, course you, you can. Get me, you get me all riled up talking about how much everything <laughs> is switched over the internet. So, so today, largely, a lot of even your home phone service is moving over to ultimately being VOIP or voice over yep. internet protocol. So it's not being transmitted over your copper line anymore at all. It is voice as data that's being transmitted through a fiber line. So that's taking a toll on your internet connection as well. And then if you add in any of these connected devices that are everywhere, smart speakers, <laughs> internet of things, my thermostat yep. connects to my, my Wi-Fi, all of that stuff is taking a toll on your internet connection. So it's become more important than ever that you've got an internet connection that's going to be able to support those types of things. Uh, and when we moved into the COVID-19 pandemic, and uh, a lot of people, those people who are lucky enough to be able to continue to work, and for those of you who have been negatively impacted, I, I, I feel for you. I sincerely apologize for all of that inconvenience right. and, uh, and the trying times it has been. Um, for those people who were able to continue to work from home, they're trying to do so almost entirely. And I know my six, now seven-year-old, uh, has been attending school over uh, the internet via Zoom platform, which outside of how well that does for her school, but that's what she needed to do. So that means in my house on a daily basis, you've got me trying to work and I'm engaging in Zoom meetings and browsing web and doing my email and handling all that. 
Uh, we've got my seven-year-old who's on a Zoom call, who's also browsing the web and doing assignments and watching videos. And we got my four-year-old who may be watching TV, which, by the way, is being streamed from the internet. It is. Uh, and then my wife trying to get some work done. And my wife's deaf and is trying to make a phone call. So she's trying to make a phone oh. call via video relay service. So there's two-way video right there. So there right. goes my internet connection. It's all being used. <laughs> yeah. So that is the experience that a lot of people have had over the pandemic. And coupled with the fact that many people have been negatively impacted, uh, their income has been impacted, and they find themselves needing to stay home. Those places that people connect went away. The places outside of your home. Right. So all the connection needed to be into your house. Mm-hmm. So uh, thus the birth of the emergency broadband benefit program. This is an FCC program that is going to provide a temporary discount on monthly broadband bills for qualifying households, which are low income or otherwise eligible. Uh, And there's information about the benefit itself, and there's information about eligibility and how you can apply. And I'm happy to talk through as much of that as we can get through. Very good. So... So, so let's begin. Let's begin to talk through some of it. Um, the qualifications aren't all income. What are some of the others? Sure. So, first of all, the qualification is done by household, and this makes more sense when you think about the way that a it broadband does. connection is going to work. Right, a broadband connection is largely going to be to a residence uh, or to a, a given home, and so the benefit qualifies on a house hold basis. So a household may qualify if anyone in that household did any of the following. Got a Pell Grant in the current uh-huh. award year of Pell Grants. It's an educational okay. grant. Right. And that's that's finan- the financial aid that you typically get when you're in community college or or at the very at the very least at an undergraduate degree. Exactly right. Yep. Um the a second qualification if anyone in the household as approved to receive benefits under free and reduced school lunch programs or breakfast programs. So families who've been relying on having at least uh, one or two meals a day through a low income eligibility program at their public school, they can qualify for the program as well. Which they may or may not be getting during the pandemic. Yes. And in fact, a little bit more complicated because there have been some programs that have expanded their participation in these free meal programs to be indiscriminate of income or qualification. So to the extent that you're participating in it, but if that program is open to everyone, you're still going to need to show your eligibility meets one of these other criteria as well. So certainly a little complicated there. It is. Um, and here, this next one is a, is a big one, um, and this one specifically has to do with the pandemic. And this is for an, any member of this household who experienced a substantial loss of income due to a lost job or a furlough from the 29th of February of 2020, so that's last year, um, it, to, up till now, and that that household, and again, this is the total household altogether, had a total income of for tax year 2020 below $99,000 for people who are filing their taxes singly mm-hmm. or $198,000 for joint filing. So oh, that that's, is that's that is another generous. yeah, yep. I mean and this is intended to catch those people who may not have traditionally 
qualified for some of these low income benefits, but who have had a significant disruption to their income because of the pandemic and find themselves needing some extra help. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> and, Go ahead. And yep. uh, a next uh, next qualification here is meeting eligibility of a participating provider, that is the telecom provider, the broadband providers, if they have a COVID-19 or another low income program. So you're already in one of those programs, you already went through this rigmarole, that's gonna qualify you as well. Yeah, so so let's pause there for a second and and talk about what an internet provider is. And these are are typically um, private companies, um, some of them very large, um, which operate all over the country and which are the folks who come and install um, your internet service into your house. So, um, for instance, I use AT&T. Other people might use um, Comcast as, a, as, as another example or Charter.net. All of these are examples of internet providers. And the internet providers... Uh, are the folks who 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 actually come and put your stuff in, and many of them in in many areas, particularly after the pandemic started, um, introduced um, programs where they offered pretty substantial discounts. Um, you don't get amazingly fast internet, but there are there are, for instance, I know of some in Jacksonville that are like ten dollars a month for for broadband, not not really super high-speed broadband, but for broadband access to a household. Yes, certainly. They do maintain a number of those programs across the country, and it is very much a patchwork here. So there, you yes. can probably rattle off the top four or five, or certainly the top four or five in your area, right? I mean, right. people are familiar with these large companies like AT&T and Verizon and Comcast. Um, but then when you get out to these rural areas, you get to more isolated areas. A, there are fewer providers, largely. There are not as many options. Uh, and you may get to much smaller providers who are providing right. service only to a specific county or a specific city or a specific town. You also get to different types of providers or you've got what's called fixed wireless that is setting up what is effectively a, a either satellite or a cell phone modem on your home yep. that's going to then feed into your network connection there. So that's part of why it's it's difficult for us to kind of enumerate all the various providers that could potentially be implicated here. And you're going to have to know who the providers are in your area in order right. to be able to figure out where you can be applying this benefit. And of course, they're in a very different position from these huge mega companies who who probably have some margin that they can that they can play with. A lot of the rural companies uh, are, are are little tiny. Ma and Pa operations who have essentially set up um, to provide services and probably don't have nearly as much room for profit margins, so probably couldn't offer the same kinds of discounts unless there was some kind of federal program that reimbursed them. Right. I mean, and that is an excellent point about, and to just to jump around uh, a little bit here about the way the program works. 
Um, the discount that is being provided on your broadband is something that is going to be paid to the provider directly from the program, and that discount is passed along to you, the consumer. So it's not as if you're receiving a bill for, and I'm making these numbers up entirely, you're receiving a bill for $100, and then you're getting a check from the FCC for $50, and you put that in your bank account, but you pay $100 to AT&T right. for you, Paul. That's, that is not the way it's going to work. The way it would work would be you would sign up with your provider, you'd enroll in the program, uh, and then they would be sending you a bill that already included a $50 discount pursuant to your participation in the program. Now, so far, we, we in talking about this program, you haven't mentioned any disability-specific ways that people can qualify. Is that accurate? There aren't any? So uh, the ways that you could qualify as a person with a disability would be participation in a number of programs right. that that by default would qualify you for participation here. So yeah. for example, um, one of the other programs that the FCC maintained is a program called Lifeline. Uh, and Lifeline provides a, a very similar subsidy, but this is a much more longstanding program uh, that provides a subsidy for connecting people to the telephone network uh, for people who are low income. And there's a number of different criteria for allowing consumers to to enroll in that program, things like participation in SNAP, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, mm -hmm. which has also been called food stamps in the past, Medicaid, uh, SSI, Supplemental Secu Social Security Income, uh, federal public housing assistance, veterans pensions, and some tribal programs if you're living on qualifying tribal lands. All of those things would then qualify you for Lifeline and then also be qualifying you for the pr this program as well. So let's talk about the implementation of the program. When, when did this new program start and how long will it last and when will it end? Sure. So the program is currently open for enrollment as of May 12th. So relatively recently, last 13 days. So we've been scrambling a little bit over in our shop as this huge program has started to roll out. Uh, it is considered a temporary program here that was established by uh, some of this coronavirus relief legislation. So the program has a flexible end date. It is set to end either once the funds are exhausted or six months after the Department of Health and Human Services declares you know, an end to the pandemic. And it's whichever of those comes first. So we run out of money. I'm, and again, entirely hypothetical for the purpose of explanation. We run right. out of money tomorrow. The letters start going out that the program's coming to an end. Now, to please no one say, I did not say the program is running out of money tomorrow. <laughs> okay. Um, or the Department of Health and Human Services declares uh, an end to the pandemic tomorrow. Then that means six months from tomorrow, the program will be sunsetting. So... At, at this point, we have no information on when the, the, the Department of Health and Human Services might consider ending the pandemic, yeah? yeah? That's right, unless you have an update. I was hoping you were going to speak to that one, but I, I, oh, I, I didn't have an inside line on that one. I was hoping that you were going yeah. to tell me that tonight, Paul. <clears throat> well, yeah. I mean, I, I've got my crystal ball right here. <laughs> so first guy, first blind guy to read a crystal ball. Excellent. 
uh, I haptic feedback in that crystal ball. I, that, I certainly hope. No question. No question. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> what? One more thing that I, I feel I feel sure. remiss that we haven't mentioned it. I feel like I've put the cart before the horse a little bit here. So we've been talking about how to qualify. We started talking about how long it's going to last. Let, let's talk quickly yeah. about what it is. Sure. So what it's going to give you is up to fifty dollars a month on a disc as a discount for your broadband service and any equipment rentals, right? Sometimes you're renting a, either a modem or a router or whatever equipment that is allowable can be reimbursed uh, up to $50 total for that. Uh, if you happen to live on tribal lands, on qualifying tribal lands, then that increases to $75 a month. There's a specific uh, carve out for that. And in addition to that, that's our regular recurring monthly discount. And as I said, that's going to be paid directly to your provider and that discount's going to be passed along to you. In addition to that recurring monthly bill discount, there's also a one-time discount of up to $100 for the purchase of a laptop, desktop computer, or a tablet that you purchase through your provider. So that's an important Interesting. one. Because yep. the the connection point is that provider. Those are the people over whom the FCC has some entree that we can engage with, and they are participating in the program. So we can then compensate them that hundred dollars. They can pass that discount along to you. It's not as if you can head out to Best Buy and, and pick up a device right. and then send us the receipt. That's just not. That's unfortunately just not the way the program is going to work. So you want to be making those purchases through your approved provider. So there's two different benefits. Right. Your fifty dollar monthly discount, uh, right. and then a one time up to one hundred dollars for a laptop, desktop, or a tablet. What we what we should say to folks is that for for those of us who are old and and have this notion of um, computers costing, you know, thousands of dollars, the truth is that that the hundred dollars can get you a pretty decent tablet, um, and 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 might even get you. And, well, it can certainly get you a tablet that that's good enough, um, and and that will have built-in text-to-speech. So, so it's it's not a, a program that 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 is an issue. The other thing that that we might say, and and I think you'll agree with this, um, Gerard, is that one of the benefits that that blind, low vision folks have is uh, if you qualify for this program, it's not going to alter the fact that um, if, if you're trying to get um, access to audio description, for example, and your cable, cable provider has a set-top box that they would normally charge for, um, as, as a person with a disability or a blind person who requires that set-top box, um, they can't charge you for it. Right. Uh, yes. And and those are a, a set of rules that um, my uh, my good friend in the Disability Rights Office, Will Shell, uh, has an encyclopedic knowledge of. Yeah. Um, uh, and we, we talked about trying to come back with Will to talk about that in more detail and would certainly be happy to do that. But yeah. I will say largely that, A, the FCC is very cognizant of and has made an intentional effort to ensure that this program is not going to have a discriminatory effect against people right. with disabilities. That is, you should not be at any disadvantage if you're blind, you're using assistive technology in order to be able to access your equipment, those types of things. So to the extent that 
you feel like you're in that scenario, what we yeah. would want you to do is reach out to the FCC, right? right. And we and, would and, want you to file a complaint. Let us know. Yep. I can't guarantee you what, what the outcome will be, but I would say we would want to know that information so that we can look at that case and say, is this a case where someone is is having an undue burden or an, a, an unfair uh, discrimination against them based on the fact that they need some assistive technology or they have a disability or need some kind of accommodation? Mm-hmm. Excellent. So um, we're probably... Rick going to open it up in about um, two or three minutes. So folks, if you've got questions, begin to think about raising your hands. Um, Gerard, are there there other initiatives that that, um, you know about um, that, that that the FCC is looking at that you'd like to talk to us about for a second? Uh, well, I, I just to close close the book on the, the emergency broadband benefit program mm-hmm. real quick. So uh, if you're looking for more information, the website that you would go to, and, and yes, I do recognize the irony of providing a website for more information about the emergency broadband benefit. Uh, <laughs> so so please, please give me give me a break here, Paul. Um, it's uh, FCC.gov slash mm-hmm. broadband benefit and that's all one word no space fcc.gov slash broadband benefit uh mm-hmm. you can reach out there in order to to get some questions answered this program is ultimately being administered by uh usac that's usac the uh universal service uh, uh i'm trying to come up with the rest of this acronym but uh, sorry, the Universal Service Administrative Company, who also administers our Lifeline program. And if you're trying to apply, the website that you're going to want to go to is getemergencybroadband.org. That's your consumer website where you can find a portal, locate a provider, put together an application, mm-hmm. uh, and, and start the process there. Excellent. Mr. Rick, do we have any hands? Yeah, we sure do. Sharon, please. Yep, Sharon. Good evening. Thank you. This is an excellent Uh presentation. And Uh I I first want to say that I was one that needed to increase my internet speed this year (laughs) because I have Alexa and she's demanding (laughs) uh, in order to stream music, but it's been worth it. Um, I guess my question is, um, I'm a charter customer and this is not something that um, I would be applying for. But my question would be um, for all of the large companies that have an accessibility component, um, are those units able to help someone who can't apply on their own online with doing the application? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Ways to apply. And thank you for that, Sharon. So Okay, so your first stop, if you can go to getemergencybroadband.org, great. If you can't, you do have some other options. You can contact your service provider directly. Absolutely. And that service provider can assist you either in person or potentially over the phone with doing that application through what's called the National Verifier Service Provider Portal. And I know that's a, a, a whole mouthful of government jargon. But essentially, we have an obligation to ensure that people are who they say they are that no one's perpetrating fraud and misusing these funds because we want these funds to be used for the people who need it. So we're going to need to to verify people and get them through that portal. And then your service provider could then help you apply using an FCC-approved alternate verification process. So absolutely, you can reach out to your provider directly if you have 
a good option there. Um, secondly, there is a mail-in application uh, there, and there is a, a an address for that, a mail-in application. Um, you're probably going to be better off trying in, in order to either try the website. If the website's not going to work for you for whatever reason, then certainly contact your provider. If that's not working for you, then you can certainly try mail. If you hit your head on all those options and you don't know where to go, you can also email broadbandbenefit at fcc.gov. And you could say, uh, I'm I'm a person with uh, a disability. I can't use, I can't access this website. I can't figure out how to apply. My provider said they can't help me. I need some help. And we're going to plug you in there. That goes to some folks in my division, the Consumer Affairs and Outreach Division, okay. who would work with USAC uh, and reach out and say, hey, I've got a consumer here who doesn't have a means to apply. We, we need to get that done. And that's probably where I get activated, right? Where they say, Gerard, uh, I don't know. I don't know what any of this means. And I say, okay, great. Let's get it done. Let's figure out how we get it done. Thank you. My only other concern is that it's it's a shame that this program couldn't have started earlier because we're moving pretty rapidly. And it, I wonder actually how many months by the time it gets rolled out that we'll be able to people will be able to use it, you know. Yeah, abs- absolutely. It, it is a first of its kind program. Um, yeah. I can say that the commission is watching it very closely. We don't independently have the authority to continue this type sure. of program. It was implemented pursuant to legislation. But I think that there are a lot of people that are going to be looking at how this goes in order to determine whether something like this on a larger scale or or continuing may be something that, that we need to look into. But that would be a, a legislative inquiry. Yeah. Great. Thank you very much. I think the I think the other thing that I would say to you, Sharon, is that um, even though this program is 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 being um, operated late, the fact is that um, that there were providers that were offering discounts for various reasons to low income folks, and this has accelerated that process. So probably okay. Probably there were 10% or 15% at most, say, a year ago, but there's probably 25 or 30. We've probably at least doubled the number of the number of people who are now benefiting from discounts, I would say. Would you agree with that, Gerald? Gerard? Yeah, I mean, I, people have been looking for any and every opportunity right. they can to find help during the pandemic. And I, I think that we all appreciate any of the providers and the companies who step forward to try to help people. Uh, it, it's sort of unfortunate that the way that our government is set up is that we got to we gotta wait. <laughs> we yeah, can move at the speed it, of legislation and the speed of government, and then well, we have to implement. It's it's sort of like community calls, though. I, I, I once, once this Pandora's box is open, I don't think yes, I don't exactly. think we're going to be able to close it again. I agree. Thank you Thanks, very Sharon. much. Yep. Okay. Yep. Mr. Ray. Um, Go ahead, Paul. Terry. Terry. Can I just jump in with um, yeah. one quick, a quick update, uh, perhaps for Gerard? Uh, is the information that is available on the website is also now available? Trust me, I know this for a fact. I did it myself. Um, is also available through as an MS Word document or um, in Braille. And you can get that, either contact me or the correct way to do it is to send an email to FCC504 at FCC.gov. And Gerard checks the the email daily and forwards anything of those on to me. And we can get it out to you as quickly as possible. 
So all of the, there's a there's a there's an FAQ sheet and there's some uh, several other pieces of information and I've already got them set up in Braille documents and in uh, uh, screen reader friendly MS Word documents. I also have. Can I just ask one quick question? Because sure. it's one bugged me on it, and that is, everything seems to refer to a loss of income due to the pandemic. Do you happen to know, Gerard, if that would include an, an increase in expenses due to the pandemic? I'm thinking about particularly people who um, might be on this call, for instance, who have had to spend a lot more money for, for services that they used to be able to go to the grocery store and get, and instead they're paying 20% more because they're having to do it through Instacart or Peapod or what have you. Um, yeah, or DoorDash, a, that kind of thing. There's yeah. a lot more expense. Yeah, that's a good question, Terry. I, I don't have a specific answer to that, although I would say that um, the one situation where I can think that that might potentially apply would be a person who is self-employed. So if you have someone who's self-employed, then all their income is being made through their business to the extent that their business expenses have gone up, that may decrease their actual net revenue for their business and therefore decrease their income. So I could see that as being uh, a potential method for qualifying, but I don't know that the kind of uh, just sort of generally speaking, kind of the inflation of the pandemic, that is all the extra costs that have gone into just daily life over the course of the pandemic. I don't yeah. know whether that is considered to be loss of income. I I would be inclined to say no, but I, I'm not the authority mm. on that topic. Yeah. I, but but remember, Terry, that that if if we're anywhere close to the notion that 70% of, of folks with disabilities are unemployed, um, seventy percent of our folks are there are, are therefore extremely likely to qualify under one or other of the programs that are that would specifically enable them to get these discounts. Uh, yes, but we also have people who are underemployed included in there who may be only sure. making thirty thousand dollars a year sure. or something like that. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, the good, the good news on that is that the actual income qualification here is 135% of the poverty limit, uh, if, if I'm remembering my uh, my documents correctly. So uh, it is right. the, the federal poverty limit is 135% of the federal poverty limit. So potentially that may include some of those people who are underemployed, um, or there is a possibility that they may qualify through any one of the other potential avenues for qualifying. Right. It also applies to households. That is, you need a member of that household to be able to qualify. So uh, people who are co-located would be able to then take advantage of that if at least right. one person in the residence was there. So it's a qualification, not a disqualification. You're not disqualified if someone in your household does not meet the qualification. And, and if yeah. one person does, your whole household qualifies. That's right. To right, the extent exactly. that and the definition of household for those purposes are people who share a dwelling and have shared income and expenses, right? So the idea being either, you know, you've got roommates, you've got people who are living together who are paying in on this communal living situation. And if you are in a multi-unit dwelling, I would also add if you're in an apartment building, if your internet service is being handled centrally, that is the, the building pays the internet bill and you're paying the building back for it, you can still qualify for this. If your household, that is your unit, qualifies for it, you can work with 
your uh, billing manager, whoever's handling that bill, to get them to qualify with their provider on your behalf as the household who's being served. Right. Okay, great. Thank, and thank you, Miss Jerry. Okay, and if anybody does need, does have a real problem in using the internet or the mail service, we do have in absolute desperation a phone number that I have, but I don't have it at hand. So if you want to contact me off list, I'd be glad to get it to you. And that's T-E-R-R-Y-P-A-C-H at Verizon.net. You got it. About time you learned it, Paul. Are are you impressed? (laughs) I am, actually. (laughs) Mr. Rick. No more hands up, but if you want to ask a question, folks, or make a comment, it is Alt-Y to raise your hand on a PC, Star 9 on the telephone, and on uh, an app, either iPhone or Android app, there's a raise hand button at the bottom of your screen. So please feel free to do so. And as soon as they see the hand raised, I'll let Paul know. Yeah, so uh, there's one. Well, why don't you pick it up, Paul? Uh, Jane, do you want to unmute yourself? (laughs) Hold on. (laughs) There you go, Jane. Yes, I uh, am awestruck. First of all, the clarity of uh, the Gerard who did the explaining of the FCC, that was, I I loved it. You didn't say, um, once. And when you were unsure of something, you said, I am not clear about this. Don't ask any questions or whatever, you know, but you made it clear what you did know, what you were not clear about, just because you didn't have the information at hand. But you were very careful to circle back and make sure we all knew how to find you all. So I appreciate this this broadcast. So much of this stuff is new to me. I I am totally blind. I do use a computer. I'm really proud that I use email <laughs> and I can <laughs> text. I'm just a hot shot. But yes, you are. Where, where, so where do you live, Miss Jane? Well, I I currently live in Minnesota. Um, Excellent. We just moved back to minnesota from texas so it's it's just i'm awestruck by what all is available if you go get it thank you well all of thank you. you thank you very much for calling in miss jane oh, we welcome. appreciate you well and paul uh, if i if i may for half a second here uh sure jane, really really appreciate that and uh mm-hmm. i also wanted to say that for any of you who are listening here tonight I've, I've got good news and bad news the good news is you got the information tonight so congratulations the bad news is I am now conscripting all of you to be ambassadors for getting this information out here because I'm personally invested in ensuring that not only do all Americans who potentially qualify for this program have the information about how they can qualify, how they can participate. But I, I have, I'm going to say it out loud. I have a particular soft spot in my heart working with people with disabilities. It's what I do day in and day out. So I want the blind community to be plugged into this. So whatever we need to do to make that work for you please do let me know. My personal email is gerard.williams at fcc.gov. That's G-E-R-A-R-D dot Williams, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S at fcc.gov. If you didn't get that one, Terry gave out the secret backdoor email to Gerard earlier, fcc504 at fcc.gov. And if you are looking for someone to come speak at Uh, a meeting that you may be hosting, another program, an event, if you've got questions, 
we have a whole outreach toolkit that's available at fcc.gov slash broadband benefit that includes, there's a lot of print media there. I'm not going to lie to you. There's a bunch of print media, but I will tell you that I also personally recorded an audio PSA because when I was on a call, I said, listen, guys, we need to do something for radio. You need to get, you need to get the word out there in audio format. So the people are going to get this message. So if you're interested in any of those materials, please don't hesitate to reach out. If you need them in different formats, if you need a different type of thing, if there's something that we haven't thought of yet, please let us know so we can do it. Because we really want people to take advantage of this program. And I personally want to make sure that people with disabilities in the blind community are as plugged in as they can be. And our program's podcasts will almost certainly be up by 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. So if you haven't already... Um, think about subscribing to ACB Tuesday Topics, which is uh, how you would find our podcast on any of your podcast providers. And sign up and hey presto, every week you will get the exciting and alluring <laughs> Tuesday Topics podcast, but would certainly right now get, get Gerard's information. Um, I don't think we have any any additional hands um, at the moment. So um, let me ask Gerard just a couple of other questions, um, and then we'll let him go, poor baby. Um, and I, I'd like to thank Gerard for um, being prepared to get involved at very short notice on Tuesday Topics. Thank you so much, sir. Oh, it's my um, pleasure. Very much appreciated. So. Uh, the 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 questions that or, or the, the the last question that I wanted to ask you is to tell us a little bit about um, some of the other outreach efforts that um, that the FCC is involved in. Sure. Well, certainly right now, I can tell you that we are deeply involved in the EBB. I mean, that is really right. it's all EBB all the time. Uh, yep. And unfortunately, no one has taken my suggestion that we call it Ebb. So that hasn't caught on. So, Paul, if there's anything you can do about that, because I thought well, Ebb, oh, yeah. we could also do a web in R. You see what I did there? But I do it. And, and, <laughs> and, and there's even a theme song called Ebb Tide. <laughs> Excellent. We, I will also say that we do have a monthly consumer outreach call that we do with any consumer organization that's interested in being plugged into the FCC's activities. Uh, you can subscribe to that by reaching out to outreach at FCC.gov. That also goes to someone in the Consumer Affairs and Outreach Division. We could get you plugged in there. Another good resource, uh, particularly for people who are interested in issues of accessibility and for people with disabilities, is from our Disability Rights Office. And that is the uh, regulatory office, right? Not people like me who are doing outreach and doing kind of operational matters, but the lawyers, the will shells of the world, yep. if you will. Yep. Uh, and that office maintains a list serve where they send out announcements of information, activities of the commission, events that are pertinent to accessing people with disabilities. You can subscribe to that email by contacting accessinfo, A-C-C-E-S-S-I-N-F-O at FCC.gov. And just write down subscribe in your subject line there and you should be plugged right into accessinfo at FCC.gov. And there's also um, uh, there there is also an advisory council that ACB has representation on um, uh, for uh, folks with disabilities that that operates um, through the FCC. So um, 
that's one of the reasons why I said earlier on um, that the FCC is is doing such a good job of reaching out to consumers who are blind or have low vision and and other disabled folks. Um, and that that advisory council um, meets, I, I think, four times a year. Um, and 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 does consider all kinds of issues and has been responsible um, for helping FCC um, create some directions for its uh, regulations that have significantly improved access for folks with disabilities. So, yeah, I'm kind I, of the, excited. That's our disability advisory committee uh, called the DAC. So that one caught on, Paul. So they they can it do did. it. They can do it. Um, we also have a consumer advisory committee uh, that historically also included consumer and disability issues. And then we spun off an independent advisory committee, the DAC, the Disability Advisory Committee, that addresses some of those issues. And one, one of the, I think, most easily accessible examples of that is the fact that we now refer to audio description in our rules rather than video description. Yeah. It was very confusing for a it, great number of years. And we managed to remedy that based Duh. on suggestions. And of course, we had to go through our regulatory rulemaking process, but we did it so we can do it. Um, and if you're interested in engaging in any of those things, you can certainly reach out to ACB because ACB, as you said, participates in those meetings. Those meetings are also when there is a public meeting, it's going to be streamed online, uh, which means you could listen to it uh, online there. When we are located in the building, there's usually a call in number. Uh, but if you have any problems accessing the meeting, you know where to go. FCC 504 at FCC.gov. Uh, and you can tune into some of those riveting public meetings of a federal advisory committee. And actually, we, we have carried some of those on ACB radio in the past as well. Um, I, I don't know that we're committed all the time to, um, to carrying those meetings or that we have permission to, but, but we have in the past. Um, cool. Yeah. Uh, um, one last thing I, I, I'll sure. say, Paul, I'm sorry. I'm, t I'm talking your ear off over here. Um, good. An another thing that's important to me is that I, I try not to pigeonhole our people with disabilities into only hearing about disability and accessibility right. related topics, uh, which is one of the reasons why I was happy to talk about the emergency broadband benefit or EB, as Paul and I are calling it now. Yeah. Um, tonight, and uh, when I came with uh, Terry uh, a couple a couple months back, I uh, was also talking about robocalls. Uh, so any of those types of consumer information, I'm always more than happy to talk about as well. And there's Ebb Tide in the background. <laughs> Tide plays in the background. We thank Gerard Williams for being an absolute good sport and appreciate his being here. Our gift to you is Ebb Tide. <laughs> Gerard, thank you so much. Excellent. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, everybody. Have a great night. Bye.
you, sir. Thank you. Eptide. And emergency broadband benefit. Eptide. Do want to thank um, Gerard Williams for um, his involvement in our program this evening. Um, actually, Terry um, suggested Gerard, and and he he really does an excellent job of communicating with folks. And, and of course, this program has immense benefits for us. Um, for, for our second hour, what I'd like to do is to talk about some of the other FCC initiatives um, that, that are out there and to perhaps get some feedback from you, at least talk about them. The, the request for comments period uh, on the CVAA, um, which is the, the law that was passed in 2010 that's been primarily responsible for creating audio description, um, has been extended to June 7th. Um, what, that, what, that will, what that means is that you still have an opportunity to um, go to the FCC's website, um, take a look at the request for comments, and file some of your own. Um, so... The CVAA has, has done an awful lot, and in the decade since the CVAA has passed, we've gone from virtually no audio description uh, that's widely available on the internet to the point where <clears throat> there are now at least 5,000 titles and 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 really a lot more than that because those titles include television program series. And some of those television program series are 10 and 12 and 15 years or 15 seasons. So some of them are, are huge and have, you know, 10, 15 issues. So I, I don't know that anybody knows precisely how many individual audio description items there are. And, Every few months, it seems, uh, another entity um, is beginning to provide audio description, which means that more and more um, we, are, we are broadening the array of entities that, that are making audio description available. One of, the, one of the newest folks to arrive on the scene is HBO Max. And HBO Max really launched at the end of April with um, quite a large number of, um, of offerings. Um, in the first month, they, they had a series that, that, that I really enjoyed watching with my family called His Dark Materials. And at the end of May, or, or already in May, I've noticed they've added the whole series of the Game of Thrones. So if you've been waiting to watch Game of Thrones, um, I think all eight seasons are now up there on HBO Max um, with uh, audio description. So all of these streaming services, um, which have added all of this content, weren't actually required to do so really by the CVAA. It has been our advocacy and primarily ACB's advocacy, really, um, that's created the situation where there is a readiness to um, 
to make uh, audio description content uh, available for us. And it's, it's for me anyway, and I suspect for most of you, um, it's made, it's made a huge difference that that audio description is in fact there. What, um, what the CVAA did um, was to certainly open the door to create uh, audio description uh, that had to be made available by broadcast channels and by a certain number of cable channels. Um, it's been interesting because all of the broadcast channels, that is ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, um, uh, are all required uh, on a regular basis uh, in <coughs> communities, in, in now relatively small communities, not uh, certainly, I think we're, we're down below 100,000 now, um, are, are required to make audio description uh, available. But what is, what is significant um, is there, there's still only a limited number of hours um, that are available in terms of audio description, which doesn't come close to doing more than 1% or 2% of all of the programs that are going out and are being broadcast. So clearly, one of the things that the CVAA could consider um, is increasing the number of hours, and perhaps we could ask the FCC to do that. Uh, another area um, where uh, I think that, that the CVAA uh, could potentially have an impact is perhaps increasing the number of cable stations um, that are are actually required to do audio description. Um, I don't remember all the, the way it works is, is five of those cable stations. Um, uh, the top five are required to, are required to, to follow the same kind of audio description requirements as the broadcast stations are. Um, and this year, the, the, the stations that are the top five uh, under the cable are very different from those in the past, uh, and most of them are nonfiction. So, for instance, ESPN is is now one of the top five. Uh, I th think Home and Garden Network is another, um, and and I I honestly can't remember which all five are, but it's it's interesting because. Right now, ESPN, for example, doesn't typically have uh, an, an audio description channel available on any of its uh, on any of its outputs. Now, <clears throat> if you're using a device, you probably could get audio description um, or or Hispanic broadcasting on things like ESPN Plus, but I I don't even know that that's the case. The point that I'm making, though, is is do we need to say to the FCC that um, by choosing an entity like um, ESPN, um, we may be significantly um, making it make it difficult for entities to know exactly 
what to audio describe and how they should do it. Um, I, I would be interested in hearing from some of you as to whether you feel that an entity like ESPN is likely to benefit us much with audio description, and if so, how? And if not, why not? Um, so that's an interesting question. But those, again, are some of the elements of the CVAA that we can probably um, think about making some comments on. So that's, that's the first issue that I wanted us to at least talk about. Um, let's see if there are some folks who would like to raise their hands on that issue. In the meantime, I'll tell you that the other thing that I want to discuss later this hour, um, and I hope it's considerably later because I hope you guys have some comments on the, the, the request for comments on the CVAA, um, but I want to talk about the other thing that or one of the other things that the CVA did was to create a requirement um, that, that really has a broad consensus of support in the blindness community that uh, local stations are supposed to um, provide information on the secondary audio programming channel, which is the channel where we get audio description. Um, if there is an emergency and if there's information scrolling across the bottom of the screen. But um, it, it's certainly been my experience in my location that there was an awful lot of COVID-19 information that was scrolling across the bottom of the screen, but there was virtually no information uh, available on that second uh, secondary audio program channel. And... Um, th there seems to be a feeling that an ongoing pandemic is not considered to be uh, uh, an emergency under the definition that that is or that was being used before. Now, I don't know that that's the case, but I think one of the comments that it's my intent to make to the FCC is that they should be sure. Um, that whatever definition they're they're using for an emergency, it would include things like um, pandemics, so that we in fact would get access to this information. But we'll come to that later. Um, I still haven't heard lots of um, hands being raised, but I'll check with Rick. I don't know that there are any, are there, Rick? No, Paul. There's none. So again, folks, if you want to raise your hand, it's Alt Y Star Nine on the phone. And there's a raise hand button on your iPhone or Android app. <clears throat> so let me ask. Let me ask a question directly. Um, a lot of what we've a, a lot of what we've gotten in terms of audio description directly from CVAA is the broadcast channel. So CBS, ABC, NBC, and Fox who are actually required um, to provide audio-described versions of a few of their programs every week. Um, any, any of you who've tried to look for these programs will recognize that there aren't very many of them. Um, and, and at the moment, there aren't all that many hours. So I would love to know if there are some of you who are watching 
uh, audio described programs on your local TV networks. And, and if you are, um, tell us how that's working for you. Um, and also tell us what you'd like to see change. I can tell you that I don't see them often, Paul, not at all, hardly at all. And some of the problem is I'm not always sure where to look or when to look. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's supposed to be continuous, you know, but I don't know that that's always true. Well, I don't know that it's continuous, um, but the first place you should look is acb.org slash ADP. Yep. Um, And there, there is a section of that that provides you with a listing of all of the broadcast television programs on a, a day-by-day schedule that are in fact audio described. Um, and so that's the place to start. And then um, obviously what you need to do is to check to see if, if, if our stuff says that this program is supposed to be audio described, you then need to turn your, your audio description uh, on um, and tr- try the program. Um, it's not. It's not always easy to do that. No, it's not. Um, I know. I had. Um, I had a service in Miami where, if I wanted to turn audio description on for a show, it took seven keystrokes to turn it on. Right. Yep. Exact. Same thing is true for me, and I just have to and- memorize it. Right, and 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 that's that is, by the way, not supposed to be legal. And I filed a complaint with the FCC, and the excuse that that my provider used was the COVID pandemic. Oh my gosh! Um, they yeah. they essentially said that their that their their technical services folks were so busy doing other things for COVID that they simply didn't have time to do this. Now, they allegedly have actually made a change that that went from seven keystrokes to two um and the first day i tried it it worked and the next day and every day subsequent to that it has not (laughs) Uh, it's frustrating and they seem to use that excuse no matter what you're dealing with and who you're dealing with, they use COVID as an excuse. And I've, I've seen that before with other institutions as well. So we'll see what happens when we all open up again and when things get back to normal. Yes. Now, I'm, I'm surprised actually that, that, um, that none of our, well, I'm, I'm overjoyed that you guys are regular listeners, but I'm surprised that not too many of our regular listeners um, are utilizing um, audio description on even for their regular broadcast channels, or, or it would seem that way, because nobody's jumping in to talk about it. Um, if that's the case, maybe it means that we really need to do some more training. Um, ah, one hand. Ah, yep. we have a hand. Yeah, yeah six, six, that's six six three eight. Do you want to unmute yourself? That's probably the case, Paul. I think that there's a lot of people yeah, who need so to be too. trained. Go ahead, six six three eight, please. I think you're. I think you're good. Just talk. Just go, go ahead. ahead and talk. Phone number six six three eight. That's Beth. 
Beth. Beth. Suspense. That's a different topic. Uh, um, Terry, when you've done audio description discussions, have you found that 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 folks are are not using it on on your program? So the older folks are not using it on your when you've done audio description on on your program for older folks. Um, I think I think there are some who are not using it. Part of it, I think, is because it is only well the uh, listing of it generally is only available online at least on a nationwide basis here in the metropolitan washington area it's available it, the uh, listings are available by phone through the metropolitan washington ear but um i think a lot of them you know a lot of people are still internet weary um or feel inept at it i guess is a better word um especially yeah. <clears throat> for browsing a website one of the things one of the things that ACB has been talking with the Federal Communications Commission about for a long time um, is exactly that that issue that that blind and visually impaired people uh, don't have uh, an easy way of getting information um, that's why that that's easily accessible to them um, of when audio description programs are on, when new audio description titles are added, um, the uh, a person who's deaf um, can get information on captioned programs very easily. And and I think one of the things that we ought to consider asking the FCC to do is to try to implement a program or to encourage the National Association of Broadcasters or whoever would be involved um, to consider setting up something for audio description that's similar to what operates for captioned programs. Um, what do you and, mean? And, and again, you don't have to. You don't have to. Um, you don't have to to uh, change the law to do that because um, there, you know caption programs are shown in every newspaper and if you're even if you're reading an audio newspaper or if you're looking at um cable listings anything that's closed caption will will you'll be told but you're seldom told if audio descriptions available you just have to try it and see that's true because but the and that's where the issue i remember when we've talked about it in the past where the issue comes in on that is <clears throat> excuse me that when people is are browsing through the paper it has the closed captioning logo there and so it just it just which is two c's beside each other isn't it? yes C's for closed captioning put doing that for video description audio description is not very helpful because someone isn't necessarily going isn't going to see that logo on there it would have to be something audio audible well, the CC is audible if you're if you're looking at a text version of the newspaper. Um, again, yeah, but then again, again, here you here we go again. We're back into the internet. But it, uh, well, not necessarily because if if the AD was there, um, 
for instance, it 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 would it would be available on on uh, NFB Newsline on the TV listings. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's true. And, what about and, the idea? Here's another idea. What about the idea if ACB took it upon itself, since it's got such a a, a really really good ADP website and a very very good listing of those? What if we put it out audibly? Or in Braille, or you know, in some kind of an alternative format, quarterly. Yeah, I, I think, I think that's a good idea, but I think people would get frustrated because audio description, even though it's supposed to be available in a pretty broad range of communities, there are still population limits below which audio description doesn't have to happen um and so i think a lot of our folks would be frustrated but i i I think you're right terry i think we've got to figure out a way of of making it clearer um what what kinds of audio description stuff is out there um maybe it would be a good idea to do uh, maybe a, a once a week, 30 minute program on ACB radio that would talk about what audio description is coming up over the next week, or what are some of the new audio description components that have been added? I think it'd be pretty cool to see if the, if the ADP committee might be prepared to put something like that together. Um, that would be I, a cool, that would be a very cool start. You're yeah. Right. Cause I, I suspect that, I suspect that that Rick and Debbie would certainly consider finding a space for something like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great idea. That's a great idea. And then we could put it up as a podcast as well. Oh, absolutely. What a, what, what, what a, what an even better plan. Do them both. Do them both. Yeah. A a weekly ADP podcast. Yep. I think that's such a cool idea. I think an ADP podcast is a cool idea, but I think doing it on ACB radio is even better. Oh, yeah, um, I yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think especially the, the target audience that we were just talking about, you're more apt to get them listening to it on Alexa than you are um, live than you are in a podcast, I think. Well, and, and, guess, and, and also um, re- remember that those folks can access those programs by phone now. True. That's true, too. But putting it on ACB radio makes it more time-sensitive. It does. Uh, And we would have to get this up immediately as a podcast, but people don't always listen the day of or the day after. It might be a few days or a week. So the the best thing is ACB radio. If they wait that long, then that podcast doesn't do them any good. That's right. That's right. but But the ACB radio program, if, you know, I mean, when when those of us who are old-time radio listeners used to know that uh, that the Jack Benny program was at seven thirty on a Sunday. It was actually it was at seven, but that's okay. You probably just listened later, or you got the jokes yeah. later. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Well, you no, guys yeah, are older than me. Very slow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the but the point is, we knew when we had to listen. Sure. And 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 what's what's happened now is that. Our folks have become immensely spoiled with podcasts. But the fact is, there's nothing wrong with saying, if you want to know what's coming up for audio description next week, tune in at at Sunday at at 
4 p.m. on such and such a, a, an ACV radio channel, and we'll tell you. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I think so. So that's a, that's another comment, though, that I think we, we, we can and should send forward to the FCC. I know we've talked about it at the advisory committee level uh, in the past, but that is help us by, by using your good offices as a federal communications commission um, to persuade the National Association of Broadcasters to create a database of audio description so that so that we don't have to do all the work, uh, but also, uh, and, and by we, I mean the, the uh, audio description project website, but also um, so that folks who don't have the internet um, will, will have a way of at least having their helpers to be able to easily find um, audio described programming. Because if, if, if we always put AD um, in the listing in the newspapers, at the very least, we could say, if, if we're not using Newsline, we could say to our friends, did you get today's newspaper? Can you look and see um, on the main broadcast channels what, what are the AD things that are out there? So, Phone number 6638. Are you there? Miss mm -hmm. Beth? I think she's... I wonder if she has her phone open and maybe doesn't uh, know it. No, she. I hope nothing's happened to her. She's unmuted. She just muted herself. She's been okay. I think there's something wrong with her phone. No, it's okay. Uh, there we go. Hey, Beth. We can. Yeah. I was just going to say that AD logo would be really good because even if we were listening to Newsline, it would say that, um, like, say, three is company, or that's just an example, you know, we'll be, and then it says the time time listing, and then after that, it would say AD. And so yep. you know automatically that it's audio described. Yep, I think that's, I think you're absolutely right, Beth. Thank you so much. Any other comments for us? No. Okay. Um, so I want to talk about one one other issue, and and I I uh, I'm told it's it's a waste of our time um, sending it in this comment, but I I I'd still send it in. Um, I I I think all three of you guys who are who are kind of panelists up here will know the answer to this trivia question, but which broadcasting entity? Uh, was the first to provide audio description. Company GBH. Yes, uh, <laughs> which is which is part of what network? PBS. PBS. Thank you. Yep. So, PBS network, because it's funded under federal law, is not required to provide audio description listings. Period, and they don't. Um, there is no national listing of PBS audio description anywhere. Um, when we've talked to PBS, one of the things that they've said is that different stations actually broadcast the programs that may have audio description at 
at different times. Um, and some of the PBS stations may not broadcast them at all. Um, audio description is very much a local issue. So many PBS stations don't have the capability of um, passing through uh, an, a secondary audio program channel. Um, but I think we are at the place where uh, we, we ought to find a way to encourage them um, to work with us um, to, to create um, to create some kind of access to um, to audio description listings. Um, I, I, I'm not sure I'm not sure how we do it because they're legally not required to do it. But I know that what what I did last year was to essentially call up my public television station when they were doing their their fund drive and said I would increase my uh, contribution uh, by a substantial amount uh, if, if in fact there was an easy way that I could get information about which programs are being audio described and could be sure that the pass-through is happening. Um, and uh, I got nowhere. I have a very foolish question. Yes. Why can't we why can't we push them based on section 503? Um it's an interesting question. I I don't know the answer. Um I I I think I think what they would probably say is look it's not that we, that we don't want to do it. Um it's that it's that uh, each of our stations is an independent entity and we're we, we, we provide some programs with audio description, and if those stations choose to take those programs, um, so be it. But, but we are not like the other broadcast networks that are creating national programming during prime time um, seven days a week. No, but those local stations are also getting government funding, aren't they? They probably are. It's an interesting question, Terry. So <clears throat> we hope that uh, Mr. Rackfall, our government affairs person, will get back to Terry and answer that question. Um, as, a, as a 503 government contractor receiving federal funds, is, is there an obligation for them um, to create some kind of... Um, accessible database of the audio description content that they make available? I think it's a really good question, um, Terry. And and like Gerard Williams, I don't know the answer. So, mm. um, so it's... It's, uh, it's, just, it's it's an area that I don't think we've ever looked at looking at doing uh, it through. No, I don't think we have. <clears throat> I think one of the amazing things that we don't give these folks nearly enough credit for is the degree to which these new streaming services um, have created um, content for us when they're not really required to do it uh, under the law. Um, 
it's it, it really is pretty amazing um i actually right now um do not have a, a cable service provider up in jacksonville i have one in miami but up in jacksonville i have um i i have decided to go just with streaming services um and i bought a, a little tiny antenna that's a very weird looking thing it, it really is almost like a, a a piece of um a piece of plastic that you put up on the wall um and that's connected to your tv and it essentially um enables you to um to get some local broadcast channels um but for the most part i'm i am unplugged from from the major networks um and and really haven't felt felt their loss very much so it's interesting um and and in terms of streaming services um more and more services are actually making um uh, audio described materials available um and and i'm actually paying probably about half of what i was paying in miami um for a lot more audio description than i ever had available in miami so it's it's really interesting and it's one of one of the ways that the way that we get information and the way that we utilize um the access to audio description can can be fundamentally different you know i am directly using streaming services rather than um rather than using any any cable or satellite systems so it's interesting and one of the things about streaming services too paul the access to the audio description is a lot easier mm -hmm. through those streaming services right and i think the nature of the technology too being digital and all that type of thing it's probably easier for them to transport not not that you know that necessarily uh explains why you think the uh, the major networks have all the resources to be able to do that kind of stuff but but it, it but it is an interesting dynamic and certainly the you know the all digital transport technology has <laughs> got to make it easier than than you know some of the horror shows that we're forever hearing about you know with one us, of the with sap one of the fascinating um situations for me is when 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 I had to move up to Jacksonville because of my illness um I looked around at a television and I I bought I think a, a 46 inch television that had um that that had built-in text to speech for for reading the screen but that also had um ALEXA or ECHO um so that i could uh use it to play music and other things or any of the sports that i wanted to listen to on the radio at the same time as i had a a built-in voice system that would that would allow me to actually read all of the um elements that were on the screen but here's the deal you guys so i've got this huge tv with all these built-in special features and i paid 240 for the tv 
and it, it, for me, it's an indication of how um, how affordable, um, accessible audio description has become. I mean, we never would have would have even considered um, being able to get hold of audio description or text speech and all of these other components for the cost that. That, that I'm talking about here. No, I, I have a Toshiba as well, and it's about 50 inches and probably cost me a little more than that. But yep. I needed one badly. And I, I'm willing to bet, although I use it, I'm not sure that I'm using every single accessible feature that's on there yet. I mean, I'm not that I won't, but boy, there's a lot there and there's a lot that I have to get used to. And some of it I'm, I'm familiar with, other things I have to read up on. But it's a yep. nice position to be in. It it is, and 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 it amazed me because, I mean, I never would have thought of trying to use just streaming services if it wasn't for the fact that I had a built-in text-to-speech system that would read the screen. Sure. Um, and and also uh, had the had the ability to operate with um, with the the A lady um, for for both radio and and frankly um television as well and 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 there are some some of the a lady um devices now that have built-in screens and pretty nice sound very nice um, that sound. actually enable you to watch movies yeah in fact i've got an a lady in the tv don't know how she fits in there but she makes do and then there's yeah. another lady on my uh coffee on my dining room table and mm -hmm. they both can hear me and some of the things i'm asking the a lady in the tv to do she can do but the other one can't and so it's kind of fun to hear them mm -hmm. talking to each other one exactly. doesn't understand it you know it's just mm -hmm. fun stuff that i love doing <laughs> I haven't gotten that far yet. I bought a 65-inch yep. Samsung ah. that does everything, too. And it, it is. It's amazing that all the different things that are uh, service, streaming services and that that are on it. And I paid three, $250 less for that than I did for a 26-inch TV back in the day. Sure. And Yeah. Um, but, you know, somebody pointed out to me what it is is that the companies now are putting them out at less than at below cost or practically below cost because the streamers, the streaming companies and, and the advertisers and such are getting that information. And so if they're getting that information, I'm thinking that if you're using your audio description on it as well, then they're getting that information too, which may also benefit us. To see yep. that there are people that are actually using audio description. Well, it it would be interesting to know just how much information they are or aren't getting. Um, I a lot of the services, and it's it's what's so cool. A lot of the services, once you turn audio description on in that streaming services for the first time on the first thing you watch. It, it automatically stays on and then if you if you go to another program that actually has audio description um, it, it will automatically play um, so that's really pretty cool um, you don't have to keep going back and turning it on and off um, so that and, and I would say that probably 60 or 70 percent if not more, of the streaming services operate that way. 
Now, let me ask you a question about that. So mm-hmm. that if it doesn't have audio, if, if you go to another program that doesn't have audio description, are you still getting the SAP channel? Or do you get into SAP with streaming? I'm not sure. No, it, it just doesn't turn it on um, huh. because, it, because it doesn't good. exist. That is good, though, because, you know, turned like, off. So, because I don't want right. it. So you're not getting it done all of a sudden in Spanish or something like that? No. No, now that used to happen with with um, with the satellite system or with cable services. The spectrum had happened, but too right. Yep. Yeah. So it's interesting. So I'd like to give anybody who is listening another opportunity to raise an issue that you think might be an appropriate comment for the FCC, or uh, to raise any questions with us for with the stuff we've been discussing over the last little while. Um, so over the next few minutes, um, if, if you've got a question or a comment that you'd like to make, I encourage you to raise your hand and share that with us. Um, I, I, I think that uh, one of the things that has amazed me is, is the, 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 the degree to which there is now more information out there um, which has audio description available than we could ever really legitimately use. Um, there, there are so many of the movies that are out there that I know nothing about that say they're audio described, but, it, you know, I just have no desire to watch them. There are lots of horror movies, and, and, and there are probably folks out there saying, horror movies, oh, how cool! Um, but that's not me. Um and, and there are lots of chick flicks, but I don't jump up and down over those either. Um, I, I, I don't know if it has anything to do with the fact that I'm not a chick or, 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 or whether it has to do with my, uh, my poor flicking ability. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> but um, nevertheless, uh, every time that I look at a listing of um, stuff that's available for streaming, um, I always find something that I'm interested in in looking at with um, with our ADP website. One of the cool things is that there is a master list of all of the movies with audio description. It's not perfect because streaming services will sometimes remove audio described movies, um, and so we have to we have to get used to. Um, sometimes somebody will say to us, well, I just watched this really cool audio described movie and you go to watch it and it's not there anymore because mm. that does sometimes happen. Um, but each of the streaming services also has a separate listing. So if you're trying to decide which streaming services you want to get, whether whether you want to get HBO Max, whether you want to get um, Apple TV, whether you want to get Disney Plus, uh, whether you want to get um, um, on the the um, there are there are two others that I wanted specifically to mention. Oh, Netflix and um, Disney. And there Plus. are also a lot mm-hmm. in Prime Video, um, uh, Amazon Prime Video. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but you can actually go to the ADP website and go to like Prime Video or um, HBO Max or Netflix 
or some others that don't have as many like Hulu and a few others, but they will list all of the audio described titles that those streaming services currently seem to have available. Um, so one of the cool things is you can actually check out before you decide which streaming services to buy, what movies are available on the various streaming services just by using our ADP website, which is at www.acb.org slash ADP. You know, it took me a while, just before COVID, I think I bought the TV, around Christmas time, but I didn't know anything about these streaming services because I never had a TV that allowed me to do uh -huh. this. And it took me a while, and it's still taking me a while to get acquainted with all the material that I used to not even know about. And people at church would say, God, did you see such and such, season three of this? And I'm going, what are you talking about? Because I all I watched was TV. So it's it was brand new for me, and it did take yeah. a little while, but it's really cool, really cool. I think there is a learning curve. I yeah. think you're absolutely right. Um, I know. Um, I I sort of plunged in because I because I had no choice. I I, I the the cost for cable services up here was very high, and so I I just determined I wasn't going to pay it because I was already paying it in Miami. Um, and so um, I, I ended up doing, there, there's a word for it, um, but it's sort of unplugged or untethered. I don't, I don't know what the word is. Cut the cord. Um, Cutting the yes, cord. cut the cord. Thank you. Um, and, and that actually has been really fun for me. Um, and, and, I've, and I have really enjoyed um, cutting the cord because of the fact that um, it's forced me to learn all kinds of stuff. Um, and the way my TV is set up, it, it actually expects me to get um, uh, the major uh, streaming services and makes room for them. And, and there are like 24-hour news services like CBS, 24-hour news, um, that, that you can stream for free. Um, so, I mean, there are just lots of options out there for getting um, all kinds of stuff. And if, if you've got the A-Lady, I mean, you have thousands of radio stations that you can stream through your, through your TV as well. Um, so it's, it's pretty amazing. <clears throat> so if folks want to get in touch with me, you can do so by sending an email to edwards.paul955 at gmail.com. Um, and, and, and I raise it because if, if you think that uh, it would be helpful for Tuesday Topics to provide a, a two-hour training program on using these streaming services, we can get hold of our ADP committee and see if they would come and do that for us. Um, because there are folks who know a lot more about how to do all these things than I do. Um, but we'll only know what you want to be part of Tuesday Topics if you send us a note and send us information about what you'd like. So um, I, I, I guess I'm making the assumption by by the absence of folks jumping in to make comments that one of two things is true. Either folks don't know very much. Hold on, we just got a uh, hand. That's Beth again. Hey, Beth. 
let's see what Beth has to say. Hey. See if you, hey, Beth. For Tuesday topics, how are we supposed to do that without email? That's been a major problem for a lot of us who are uh, who are older because a lot of these states don't don't offer computer services to the to the older body. Yeah, I'm not that old, but yeah, I, people I, over fifty are actually going to be getting into the job. I We're didn't. Well, I, I didn't quite get your point, Beth. So repeat it for me. How are we supposed to send you uh, oh. if we don't have email? Or if you don't have email? <clears throat> well, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I'm happy. I'm happy to give out my phone number. Um, even though I'm not supposed to, it's area code 305-984-0909. Um, and your name is? And the email is edwards.paul955 at gmail.com. So let me know, guys, should we provide a training program on streaming services and how to access them from your TV? Um, should we um, should we just forget about audio description because there are too many other things that folks want Tuesday topics to talk about, and there are lots of other ways that uh, audio description can get out there. Yeah, it's 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 kind of up to you guys. Tuesday topics is your program, um, and all that all that we try to do is to figure out ways of encouraging you. Um, to think about some other stuff. Thanks very much for your comment, Beth. I I, I appreciate it. Um, okay. Terry, what? Yes. What I was going to say is, I think that you would get quite a few people. We did one about a month and a half ago, um, sponsored by the Metropolitan Washington Air, one Thursday night as a community call. We had a lot of people came on that call that night. We did a thing, and I think we just called it uh, Everything Audio Described because we were also including um, live description at museums and, right, right. and such. But we got, a, we got a lot of people and a lot of interest. And one of the people who probably got the most questions, name is absolutely escaping me, but it's the gentleman who does the ADP website. Yeah. I, um, why am I? Yeah, I'm saying Fred. And I don't think it is. No, it's Fred, Fred, Fred Brock. Fred Brock. Thank Fred you. Brock. Yep. Thank you. Yep. But there was a lot of interest in the ADP website and in audio description on television and in mo and movies and such. Um, but I think you would get a very good turnout. Uh, well, we we should we should probably um, announce it pretty early on. Um, so again, you guys, um, tell me about other things that you'd like to see Tuesday topics discuss. Um, next week, I think we're going to go back to um, to to an issue that that we've talked about in some other ways than the than the way we're going to talk about them next week. Um, but I I would like to um, pick out a few state affiliates 
um, that I think are doing a good job um, in terms of the way they organize themselves and the kinds of programs that they're operating um, and have their presidents come on and talk to us about some of the things that they're doing, how they're getting them done, and uh, how other affiliates might be able to do the same thing. And I think we'll also perhaps um, invite some special interest affiliates uh, to come on and tell us what they're doing, both not so much at the convention, but between conventions. And I know, Terry, you're doing, um, you're doing a, a, um, a, a thing with your internet radio program, which is also available as a podcast, I think, about the convention. Why don't you tell us about that for a minute? Sure. We are doing, we did it this past Friday, and for the next three or four Fridays, I've invited all of the special interest affiliates that have programming uh, scheduled for convention just to come on and talk about what they are going to be doing at the convention, how people, when, when what's happening with them is taking place, uh, how people can find out anything more about it. Um, this Friday night, I have Alliance on Aging, no, um, AABT, Blind Teachers, mm -hmm. uh, Randolph Shepard Vendors, Braille Revival League, um, Ivy, the Independent Visually Ent Entrepreneurs, and Guide Dog Users are going to be on this Friday next week. I know I've got... Um, nah, nah, uh, Braille Revival League is next week because I have something else i got to do this week. Oh, okay. I'll move. I'll switch you on my on my uh, calendar you. then. Okay. I've got to. I've got to do. I've got to do games for um, for a chapter down in Miami. Ah, we're going to play and then next games week, on the phone. And next week we're also having. Um, and it just went out of my head. As you, I think we're having diabetics in action. Nice. Um, a member of theirs has asked me if she could do it if we hadn't heard from the president. And I haven't yet, so um, somebody's going to do it anyhow. And, um, and of course, one of the, the nice things that we're still more room, and and then yeah. on the starting on the 18th, we're going to be taking a closer look at other events that happen that aren't really special interest related, special interest group related. Um, like Leslie Spoon is going to come on about the auction, those kinds of things. So we're going to be doing starting on the 18th. So, so how we're kind can, of doing quite a build up. How can people find? How can people find your program? My program is listed on the community list, uh, on Cindy's community list. I send it out to several of the email lists. And it's on Friday night at 7 o'clock Eastern. And it's called Visibilities, um, which started out really for visually impaired seniors. But we seem to have all ages and uh, joining us, which is wonderful, because I think we need to be a big cross um section across second thank you that's the word i wanted a cross section of <laughs> our organization and uh so that's on friday night at seven o'clock eastern and i'm also let me quick a quick plug in on thursday night at eight o'clock um we're sponsoring it through the metropolitan washington ear but phyllis burson and i are doing a program and on the second and fourth thursdays of the month and this week we're doing it on adaptive sports for everyone, whether you bicycle or hike or walk around your house, everyone well, can come in and talk to us about that. 
Thank you and for, as, the, for the ad opportunity. You're more than welcome. And um, you, you, you also um, have your program as a podcast, do you not? We are getting or there. Not. Rick, you and I need to talk yeah. about that again. <laughs> but we, it's getting there. We've got some of them podcasted. And I've got Excellent. some put up, but I'm running into a snag that I can't figure out how to fix. Ladies and gentlemen, watch out to see what's coming up on Tuesday Topics next week. I'll get stuff out early soon. And as ebb tide operates in the background, I wish all of you listening to Tuesday <laughs> Topics good night. Open wide.